Japan by River Cruise is made possible thanks to your kind donations at japanbyrivercruise.com and thanks to the generosity of our corporate sponsors. This is a message from Uniqlo. We're super proud to be announcing our latest seasonal collaboration garment, Cool Mint Tech. Super cool Aerithon t-shirts, now with the added benefit of Cool Mint. Why? Well, we have no idea, but everyone else is doing it, and it was just us and Japanese toothpaste manufacturers left as the only companies that hadn't made a cool mint version of something. Cool mint tech. Why not? Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Ollie Horn, and Bobby Judo couldn't make it for the record this week, which means that I'll be playing the roles of both the funny one and the good-looking one. Joining me this week is Brian Ashcraft. Brian is a journalist and author who has published a number of books about Japanese culture, the latest being an in-depth guide to Japanese whiskey. His latest book, Everything You Need to Know About Great Sake, will be published this September and is available to pre-order. None of this, of course, matters, as his name is Brian, so we asked to have him as a guest, irrespective of his otherwise impressive credentials. Brian, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. On this week's show, a leading Japanese distillery has decided to withdraw two best-selling 9% alcohol Chuhai drinks from sale, suggesting that the prevalence of readily accessible, easily drinkable, and very affordable high-percentage alcoholic drinks may be contributing to Japan's drinking problem. Other recent revelations by brewery executives are that bears shit in woods and that the Pope is currently Catholic. Plus, later in the show, I'll be giving the reasons for my River Cruise recommendation. Ollie? Yes, this week's recommendation is a Tokyo cruise, which has taken out what is thought to be the first Starbucks franchise in a boathouse. Their regular customers are advised that they will be meeting the strict Starbucks brand guidelines immediately after the rebrand, announcing that customers should be able to enjoy unstable Wi-Fi and just one toilet facility, and they should no longer request tickets for a standard river cruise, but instead ask for una grande crociera sul fume, at twice the price of a regular cruise. And we'll be playing Bobby's special pre-recorded report on the license deal done between the Big Echo karaoke chain and the Sumida River Cruise, where the folk song that are traditionally sung on board will now be available to sing in karaoke booths across the country. Don't miss Bobby's interview with the model chosen to play wistful white man on a boat in his early 20s holding a rose and staring into the horizon looking sad in the specially created stock footage. But first, Soap Brian, you've written books on Japanese tattoos, Japanese schoolgirls, but now your main interest is alcohol. So what came first, the publishing deal or the problem? <laughs> it's funny, like the tattoo, I, I actually pitched the tattoo book at the same time that I pitched the whiskey and sake book. So I guess the problem came all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. And the, the book which is due for release in September is the book all about Japanese sake, called the Japanese Sake Bible. Right. So in your book, you claim that you, you can rank uh, sake according to deliciousness? What is it that makes a good sake? That's a very good question. I think, uh, uh, I think you know, this is going to be probably an overly simplistic answer, but it's... it's you, Perfect you, for our podcast. <laughs> you need to judge it by what's in the glass. Do you like it or not? Is it good? Does it taste good? Um, I, I mean, that's just kind of the ultimate uh, way to judge a sake. I mean, the thing about sake is I think there's an incredibly wide variety 
of sakes. There's a quite a, a, a wide variety of flavors. And so for me, that's something that, that makes sake really, really interesting. You know, uh, And when we're speaking about sake, I think sake, when it's used in English in the rest of the world, uh, is it, kind of a catch-all term that also kind of encompasses shochu and, and maybe other other drinks. And of course, or sake, the Japanese word, just means alcohol in general, right? Right. W- what is it that you're specifically writing about in your book? Well, so, I mean, Nihonshu. I mean, Nihonshu, Japanese sake. So shochu is to- like totally different. Shochu is a distillate. This is not distilled, it's brewed. Um, you know, it's now you're saying that as if I know the difference between the between the two. Okay, so, so oh, this is brewed, <laughs> not distilled. Well, right. silly old me. <laughs> right. So you're from the UK, so you should know what at least a still is, right? I mean, you're running it through a still; it's a distillate. Uh, you know, it, you're recondensing it back into a liquid. That doesn't happen. This is brewed. This is not run through a still. So uh, it's it, in some ways it's closer to to beer. In some ways, I mean, in most ways, it's completely different in the way it's made. For beer, you have you're making it from grain, right? This is a guy that's done the Asahi beer tour three times, so we're, you're kind of speaking to an equal here. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. So you know how grain, if you trick it, you can get it to sprout, right? Okay. I didn't know that I was drinking deception each time I was uh, treating myself to a cool one. Alcohol is decep- deception always. You're always drinking deception. So, so, <laughs> so uh, you get you trick it to sprout and then you stop it. And then because of that, the gr- there's enough sugar in the grain where if you make like a, basically you make this like sugary juice, if you add yeast, it'll become alcohol, right? Right. There is not enough uh, sugar in rice, I, you know, like, when you eat rice, you don't think of it being this really sugary thing, no. I'm sure, right? So you have to make something that's called koji. You have to add koji keen, which are these spores. You have to add these, inoculate it with these spores and make this kind of like sugary rice. And if okay. you actually eat it, it kind of tastes like chestnut. And so when you're making sake, you have to then add that to, to the mash to, to get enough sugar. So when you add yeast, or if there's you know yeast floating around the air, it depends on the the brewery. You can make alcohol. So the the process is very different, but you're not running it through like a, a you know a still. And so sake is normally drunk warm. Certainly when I've drunk it, it's 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 served at kind of a lukewarm temperature. It depends. It depends on what it is. I mean, it depends on you kind of have to see uh, kind of the intent of the brewer. Some stuff is designed to drink cold. Sometimes some stuff is best at room temp. Some stuff is best hot. Uh, so it really depends. And and what does it depend on? How do I know that I'm being served my sake at the correct temperature? I, I think with with a lot of sake stuff, it's it's really good. If you're like at a, an, a good restaurant, a good bar, maybe to, to kind of defer to them to ask them what's what they recommend. Um, right. But I mean, some stuff just kind of performs. Like let's say it's there's you know different types of sake, and let's say you have a really really fragrant, fruity sake that's kind of designed to be served in a wine glass, well, you're probably not going to want to drink that hot. Uh, but yeah. if it's this really, really robust kind of earthy sake, then it might work best hot or at room temperature. It just, they, they um, the thing about like sake is it it's a seasonal drink. And so it's yeah. really best to think about it that way. You know, um, like now it's summer. So I find myself drinking a lot of like stuff that I can drink cold. Uh, a lot of really fresh kind of uh, fruity drinks. But as soon as we kind of slip into autumn and winter, I want to drink stuff that I can drink, you know, room temp hot, uh, you know, very temp- varying temperatures of hot, you know, kind of savory, 
sakes and stuff. So that's, I think, kind of one of the big kind of appeals for me for sake. You know, you know, I love whiskey or whatever, but, um, you know, whiskey, we're, we're drinking neat, a little bit of water on ice. That's kind, kind of kind of our, our, you know, there's a history of drinking it hot and whatever, but the, those kind of three basic styles is kind of where we're falling. Sake is not like that. Sake is, you know, we have a whole range of different styles that we can, uh, serving styles that we can drink from. And it totally changes it. And presumably these different flavor profiles affect what kind of food you might drink the sake with. Exactly. So, you know, if, if you're drinking something that's really kind of, you know, fresh and fruity, you're going to want to eat different food. You know, if you're drinking something that that's uh, much more subtle, I want like a white fish or something with this. If you're drinking something that's really, really kind of robust and is packing a lot of kind of like a uh, savory flavor. It's like, this might be great with beef, you know? So I think that's kind of the interest, you know, sake is, is, is great to pair with food in a way that whiskey isn't. Japanese whiskey distillers bend over backwards to tell you like, ah, oh, you know, have Japanese food with, with Japanese whiskey. And for the most part, that's utter nonsense. I mean, it, it, it'll just, you know, it'll overpower a lot of Japanese meals. Mm. If you're drinking like a highball or something like that, you can drink the cheapest Japanese whiskey with a highball and it's fine. You know, you don't have to like spring on a really pricey single malt. So I think a lot of Japanese whiskey is kind of best enjoyed on its own, you know. The, at least the expensive stuff, in my opinion. And of course, sake is actually quite a cheap drink, isn't it? Often it will be one. It can be one of the cheapest drinks on the menu. Exactly, and that's the thing that kind of like blows my mind is you can get a bottle of amazing sake made from you know 100% Japanese rice, handmade by you know these folks that are going through this backbreaking labor to make the drink, and it's like ten bucks. It's ten bucks for bottles, yeah. you know, and it's amazing. Or you can go buy, you know, uh, Chuhai, which is run off a, a still, which has like zero human involvement and is filled with artificial flavoring and sugar. And just, it's like for the, for the amount of money that like, say a, a can Chuhai, let's say it costs a hundred, you know, around a hundred yen or whatever, you know, in that ballpark or whatever, it's overpriced for what you're getting. Yeah. The, the profit margins on that drink are huge. And so... Like it, it's it's incredibly distressing to me to see people drink that in such large amounts. It's not it's not a good drink to drink. Right. And I know people lo love it, and that's fine, whatever. But you you know you can drink better. You can drink uh, uh, better value for money. This is sugar, ethanol, and you know carbonated soda. If you want to drink that, fine. But it's not you know. And I, and I say this to somebody who really, really loves continuous stills and just distillation. I think that's very interesting, but it, it's not something I want to drink. Well, one thing I've learned from doing this podcast is the amount of effort you put into something has no bearing on the amount of money you make from it. Right. And this is a good opportunity to take a look at the mail this week. And so we, we got a message from uh, Kumayama100, uh, Joe Bryan, who kindly bought the podcast three coffees. And in the box, which said, say something nice, uh, they wrote, I genuinely can't think of anything nice to say. Uh, so thank you very much for uh, buying those coffees. Uh, we had a message about how the coffee system works to get the extras. I think there was a little bit of confusion. 
If you just donate to the show, that's great. We're really grateful. Obviously, we don't have uh, sponsorship. We did genuinely try to get Tenga to sponsor the podcast, but they wouldn't. Um, <laughs> even even Tenga won't sponsor us. But there are uh, some people, a handful of people, who are supporters of the podcast through the membership system on buymeacoffee.com. If you pledge $4 a month, which works out to be you know, 100 yen an episode, $1 an episode, you get access to all of the extra bits, which is the kind of extra interviews with our guests, the bits which made the cutting room floor. And that is emailed to you each week. But some people have said that's mendokusai. Uh, that's a, a pain in the ass. So now what we've done is we've put them all in one Dropbox folder. And so now you can just access that each week and we send you the secret password. So if you're interested in supporting the show, uh, then japanbyrivercruise.com, there's a donate button. Uh, and then you can say something as lovely uh, as Joe Bryan said to us, which is, I genuinely can't think of anything nice to say. We also got mail this week from... Uh, I, I'm not sure. Okay, I haven't got their name. So it's it's obviously it's just Brian. Oh, no, it's Rick. Rick Brian. And Rick says, boys, would love to hear your take on the shit show that is foreign residents with proper visas being denied entry back into Japan. I'm not a resident of Japan. Dot, dot, dot. Yet. My wife and I got married in Fukuoka this past November. Congratulations. We were about to apply for my spouse visa mere days before Japan went into lockdown. So my life is pretty much in limbo until Abby and his boys uh, get their act together. Would love to hear your commentary on the matter. Uh, thanks, boys. A uh, lot of use of the word boys. Uh, I like it. It's um, I'm it, the spelling is wrong though. Uh, you need to add a U in order to make it nautical. Uh, <laughs> I'm I don't have a take on this other than I think it obviously it really sucks. Like really, really sucks. Uh, Japan's not the only country that's doing this. That's kind of banning even permanent residents from going back in the country. Malaysia's done the same, and I. I, I, I know that your story is is just one of hundreds of people who have had to, you know, miss funerals or miss. I know someone that's missed the birth of their child as a result of this kind of thing. It's heartbreaking, and I just hope and and I I, I have some optimism. This isn't the product of kind of xenophobia deep in government, but rather just bureaucrats not getting round to sorting out something that's fair. But next week's guest on this show is Magdalena Osumi, who has written about this exact problem for the Japan Times, and so we'll be sure to ask her her thoughts. But yeah, man, I mean, I, I hope that you get this sorted soon and like i hope that um well I, I hope that we get an invite to the wedding when it finally happens let's take a look at the news so brian and i'm addressing both the listener and the guest this week very good stuff the news story this week is orion breweries limited uh, which is a, a brewery a drinks maker in okinawa uh, has decided to stop selling its range of strong chuhai, uh, which is a, a, a shochu highball drink. Uh, and these typically have seven, eight, nine percent alcohol. And they've decided for, because they have some kind of moral conscience, they claim that they're going to stop selling them. Uh, and the reason why they did so uh, is they publicly stated consideration for our consumers' health. And this comes in the wake of a number of stories of uh, that have been covered by the Japanese media of people who have been addicted to alcohol and found these drinks as being a, a gateway uh, into alcoholism. And the reason being is because these drinks are very, very strong, but crucially, very, very drinkable. So, Brian, am, am I getting this right? Is Am I right that a, that a chew high is shochu? No, I mean that almost sounds like a tongue twister. No. I'm wrong. No, it's it's uh this basically it's you know going to be ethanol like white liquor, and it's going to be carbonated soda flavoring and kind of sugar. So uh, right. for for people who kind of want to mainline alcohol, basically, uh, 
this is this is their drink. So, so what you're suggesting is on kind of the alcohol spectrum, right. we need to start looking at hand sanitizer and work our way down <laughs> right. rather than looking at whiskey and working our way up. Right. Pretty much. I mean, pretty much. So, uh, you know, you're getting at seven, you know, eight, nine percent. So if somebody is looking at a can, they can gauge how much alcohol they're going to like just, you know, pure, like, pure alcohol they're going to get from that one can. What we need to explain, I guess, is that these are, are kind of sold in quite attractive looking cans kind of the cans often have like pictures of lemons and limes on right and they're they're cans just like you get a can of pop or a can of beer and they always kind of have the word strong like i know you know there's the strong zero i think this right. is, that this brewery is sorry not not brewery i know you're going to correct me on this <sighs> distillery uh is a um they call it the wata strong and and basically the although it doesn't seem like a lot right seven percent nine yeah. percent doesn't yeah. seem like a lot right you know when a gin is 40 percent the point is these are very very what the japanese would say nomiyasui right very drinkable right it's, uh, because it's it's essentially mixed with with, with sugar as you as you said right and, and it's like seven percent in the can oh that's not proof that's literally seven percent of that 300 mils yeah that's that's what it's oh, like no idea yeah that's like seven percent of that can is is alcohol right the, the thing about that is if you like drinking like you know soda pop or whatever this is going to be something that kind of tastes like that, but it's just going to get hammered, you know? Yes. Uh, uh, if you like, if you're interested in like alcohol, the history of like, you know, drinks and whatever, this is a totally different beast, you know? Uh, you okay. know, in some regards, it's important because uh, this is the stuff that keeps the lights on at most, a lot of the distilleries in Japan. So this is what surprised me about this story, that they've made 170 million yen in the less than a year that this product's been on sale. So they're obviously not pulling this because this is not making the money. They're pulling it because the product is damaging and they kind of know that, I guess, as you just said, this is not a product for someone that wants to enjoy alcohol. This is a sugary drink that's used as a conduit for an addictive substance. Yeah, it's, you, you want to get drunk, you know what I mean? You know, when I went to Kidden, Kidden Distillery, like, you know, they make great, great whiskey there. Um, but the thing that kind of kept them that distillery running and even now kind of keeps the lights on is they're too high, you know? Right. And so even, even like really great distilleries, they, because the profit, profit margins are just, you know, obscene, you know, the, the amount like these, these cost nothing to make, you know, if you're paying a dollar, a dollar, whatever you're paying dollar, 20 dollars for whatever it can, you're overpaying. Because yeah. this is... Well, that's the other thing. These cans are cheap, aren't they? They you are know, incredible. Compared to a beer, sometimes it's half the price. And it's just like incredibly cheap. And even then the profit profit margins on there are obscene. I mean, they, they're they just getting this incredibly pure, pure spirit from it. They add some sugar, some flavoring, put it in a can, and then they sell it. So like, you know, people I know in Japan, when they talk about like, oh, I like Chuhai or whatever, I try in, in like the least pedantic, annoying least like kind of alcohol nerdy way i always try to direct them towards better stuff you know what i mean <laughs> like right. like you could drink less and you could drink better you know like drink less drink better for me i kind of see these as like the second in ranking to i want to get drunk and i'm not going to go for those hundred yen glass jars with the the little peeling things on the top what are they called the one cup do you know what i, I'm I would recommend about? that i would recommend oh, would that you actually? yeah because at least that's made from like rice and you know, I, th I think those actually taste better. You know, that, that has added brewer, you know, that add, added brewer's alcohol in it. I would recommend that. Historically, within the big picture of Japanese drinks, it's 
that's actually a much more important drink. Uh, I would recommend that personally. But if somebody's saying that they're like at a you know family mart or a Lawson, whatever, and they want to get a chew high or whatever, just get a beer. Just get, just get beer. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? I, you know, uh, this is, you know, chew high. I think, you know, chew high reminds me of like, like, uh, uh, you know, when you go to like a bar and somebody's like, we're doing shots. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're doing shots because it's like we need to take our medicine kind of thing. Instead of like, don't you want to like and kind of enjoy the actual flavors of the product in which you're drinking? And if it's too high, the flavors are going to be like added, you know, they're completely additive. So I don't know. I mean, like I'm not I'm not a big fan. I know a lot of people like too high that, you know, to, to each his own. But uh, there's there's better stuff you can drink. You can get like, as I was saying before, you can get an amazing bottle of sake made from rice, yeah. 100% rice, you know, Japanese rice that's like kind of runs the whole spectrum of flavors for 10 bucks. But I think you're right. The people aren't buying this because they're looking for an interesting drink. They're obviously buying it to get drunk. And Toshihiko Matsumoto, who's the director of the uh, Drug Dependence Research at the National Center of Neurology and Psychiatry, has basically released a report saying precisely this, that young people find beer uh, to be too bitter, not very drinkable. Right. And so this is kind of their, their gateway. And, and if I think about my experience in the UK, this is what cheap cider was. Right. You know, when I think about I, I, the UK, just like Japan has a, has a binge drinking culture. Right. And, you know, we, we couldn't stomach proper beer at the age of 15. Right. So we would have like Bacardi breezes or Smirnoff ice. I remember, which right. was essentially vodka masked in sugar. Uh, or we would have very, very sweet, very, very cheap cider. But I think the difference is, that unlike cider, which has far, far, far less alcohol for the amount that you're drinking, these drinks, you can drink so many of them, right? You can easily get through four or five of these cans, not feel sick and feel the kind of, you know, the whatever you feel through alcohol, the numbness or, you know, whatever an addict is addicted to. So I wonder if these are taken off sale, what are these addicts going to go for next? Do you think this might actually have positive public health benefits to to be clear i mean I've, I've done i guess two books now on alcohol drinking alcohol is not good for you <laughs> like just to be perfectly clear you know what i mean right and i think any any drinks writer who's uh kind of worth his or her salt will say that i mean alcohol is not not good for you so you want to drink you basically want to drink better and you want to drink less do you see what i'm saying i enjoy drinking i think a lot of people enjoy drinking but you just want to drink kind of the best quality that you can and then you don't want to just get totally shit-faced on it, basically. Um, and the right. problem with these Chuhai whatever is that it's it's cheap. It's incredibly drinkable. I mean, it's it's like drinking, you know, a soft drink. And it has alcohol. So it'll just totally get you hammered. This company here is taking, you know, is kind of showing self-restraint and taking its, uh, its strong product off the market. I don't think a lot of these companies are for two reasons. One is they just make too much money. And then they kind of subsidize other beverages, you know. Making proper whiskey is really expensive. And like, even if like we're, let's say we look at like, you know, Suntory. Suntory makes most of its money off of whiskey that isn't what I think most people would consider actual whiskey. Right. What does that mean? It's bottled at a lower APV. It has a lower kind of actual kind of whiskey. It has a lot of added kind of white, white liquor to it, whatever. 
And then the kind of the, the whiskey that everyone thinks of being like great Suntory whiskey, the single malts, the great blends, all of that's really, really expensive because you have to pay for uh, storing that stuff. And then like we're, you know, um, you just you just lose it through evaporation. You, you know, you put you put a cask of great uh, whiskey in a maturation warehouse. You're going to lose it. It's just going to go off and it's going to evaporate in the air. That's what the staff are telling their bosses. <laughs> You're right. Oh, it's just it's right. just, just right. evaporated again, boss. I don't know what's happened. I'm so sorry. We're, we're, you know, especially in Japan where the humidity is really high. So that's how they make their money. I mean, that's kind of that's yeah. kind of their bread and butter. And then for companies that you know are kind of selling this, you know, can too high, they just they just make the profits margin on it are they're just huge. And so uh, for me, as somebody who's kind of, you know, looked at the history of, of drinking in Japan, the thing that I find so distressing is that in the 70s, you know, in the 70s and the, in the 80s in Japan, there were all these scandals about sake, that, that you had these smaller breweries that were making sake for larger breweries, and they were just selling the brew, and then it was being rebottled, and then these really famous national brands were just selling it as their own. And so that became a big scandal. And uh, then there was other scandals where they were like kind of, you know, adding a lot of alcohol and kind of taking all these shortcuts in the process. And so because of that, a lot of people in Japan were like, well, I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to drink sake. Sake is kind of this, you know, n not really this natural product. And now sake is like amazing. Japanese sake is amazing. And if you're in Japan, it's amazingly cheap and you can get all this great stuff for uh, astronomically low prices, but it's got a bad name. Yeah, and most people are drinking like Chuhai, you know, and, it, and it's like this is like this is it's literally ethanol, carbonated water, and sugar and flavoring. Funny, all it's like <laughs> it's just it, it's yeah. it's maddening. So, do you think that Japan should legislate against this, or do you think it should just be harder to get this? Like it shouldn't just be in every single convenience store. For much of J Japan's history, their kind of end goal thinking on alcohol is how much can we tax it for? Right. Not for much of its history, but let's say for a lot of its modern history. So, so like wars, you know, like Japan's like going to go to war with Russia. How do we raise a lot of money? Ah, well, alcohol. You know, yeah. uh, we you know we want to go we want to go uh, uh, colonize Asia. How are we going to pay for this? Alcohol. You know, are we going to fight Americans? How are we going to pay for this? Alcohol. So, you know, for a lot of its modern history, alcohol, alcohol taxes have been huge. So even now, like, um, like Americans and the British have really, really strict rules about if you're going to make, for example, bourbon in the United States, or if you're going to make, uh, you know, whiskey in Scotland. And it's like, this is what whiskey is. This is what bourbon is. Yeah. Whiskey in Japan doesn't have that. Yeah. It's loosey-goosey. And the government, what the government cares about is how much they can ta tax the alcohol. That's what they care about. Whereas in the United States and in the UK, you know, what we care about is like we have these brand name products, bourbon in the United States, you know, scotch, scotch whiskey in the UK, and that this is what it is, you know. Um, and these are the regulations that we have surrounding that. Now, uh, for the Japanese, 
I think in a way that not having all these kind of regulations has been a godsend because they can think completely out of the box. They can do all these kind of like weird, what, basically weird things, you know, uh, weird yet brilliant things like, oh, we have a coffee still. Why don't we run malt through it? You know, see what happens, you know, yeah. you know, it, it, Scottish people would have never have done that. They would have been, that's for grain, you know, uh, yeah. so that, or they've, they've, you know, using all these different kind of woods for maturation. So in many ways, it's kind of freed up the Japanese to be really, really creative. And I think that that's kind of benefited Japanese whiskey uh, in one regard. And then in the other regard, when I walk into like a supermarket and I see whiskey that's bottled at 39%, 37%, and it says whiskey on it, that's not whiskey. Whiskey needs to be bottled at 40%. But in Japan, you know, doesn't matter. You know, all bets are off. So if Japan were to introduce legal standards for alcohol, presumably these standards might not necessarily be for a product quality or, or a naming or a, a regional demarcation, but actually could just be on the basis of public health. Yeah, the government is completely aware of that and doesn't want people drinking large amounts of you know alcohol at all. I mean, without a doubt. Uh, they have standards for, for whiskey. The just standards are just a lot looser. Right. And I, I think that I, what I think is here, you have like uh, kind of a perfect storm with with Chuhai is you have the tax office looking at it and being like, ah, they're selling it with seven, eight, nine percent alcohol, so we can get this much tax off of it. Great. Yeah. And then at the other hand, you have public health officials and Jim being like, holy shit, you know what I mean? This is, you know, this is really, really that's a lot of ethanol to get in a can, you know, compared to to beer. And then just the way that people drink it, it's just it's too much, you know. Uh, so I think you have kind of both sides completely, un, you know, incongruous to each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe they can settle their differences over a nice, cool glass of strong chuhai. Hey, thanks very much for listening to this episode 41 of Japan by River Cruise. Thanks very much to all of the monthly members who support the podcast at japanbyrivercruise.com. Thanks also to Brian for appearing on the podcast. Brian, where can we get your new book? Uh, yeah, so my new book is called The uh, Japanese Sake Bible. It is available for pre-order on Amazon. It'll be out this September. And, you know, even if you're uh, not, you know, maybe you don't know much about sake, I mean, it's I think the book is uh, packed with information about Japan and it's also written in a way that maybe it'll get you into sake. Great. Thank you, Brian. And thank you, Brian, for sticking with just me this week. I'll see you next week.